Welcome to the Dance Centre podcast. I am your host, Claire French, and I'm joining you from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, also known as Vancouver, Canada. I'll be talking to dancers, choreographers and other members of the dance world here on the West Coast to find out more about their creative work and practices and to discuss what it means to us to be dance professionals today. Thanks for joining us. Ralph Escamillan is a queer Canadian, Philippine performance artist, choreographer, teacher and community leader based on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh nations, also known as Vancouver, B.C., Starting at age 14, Ralph trained first in breakdancing, then explored a multitude of other street dance styles, such as hip-hop, popping, house, whacking and locking. His passion for dance expanded to include training in Vogue Ballroom, Ballet, Modern, Jazz, and he graduated from Modus Operandi's Contemporary Training Program in 2015. Ralph has worked and toured with Vancouver companies such as Company 605, Company Rasga Dance, Kinesis Dance Soma Teatro, Out in a Space Theatre, Winway Dance and Maskell Dance. He apprenticed with Kid Pivot in 2014 and was a guest dancer with Ballet BC in 2020. In the commercial industry, he's worked with choreographers including AJ Akemon, Luther Brown, Kenny Ortega, Tucker Barkley and Mandy Moore, as well as artists Victoria Duffield and Zendaya Coleman, and was a guest dancer for Janet Jackson's Unbreakable Tour in 2015. In the ballroom scene, since 2014, Ralph is known as Posh Vasalia Basquiat opening his own Kiki House of Vesalia in 2018, and since 2021 is in the mainstream ballroom house of Basquiat. The founder and artistic executive director of the nonprofit organization Van Vogue Jam, Ralph shares his passion for Vogue and ballroom culture at his weekly Pay What You Can classes and Vogue Balls, acting as a beacon for the queer dance culture in Western Canada. His company, Fake Not, creates inclusive performance works and focuses on a highly collaborative process that strive to understand the complexities of identity and culture through costume, sound, technology, and the body. As an artistic director, Ralph gathers his breadth of experience as a dancer from street, commercial, and contemporary dance to create a truly unique choreographic perspective, while also questioning his identity as a queer person of color. I am joined by Ralph Iskimilan, very excited to talk with Ralph about his remarkable career, activity, initiative, motivation, just what what he manages to do with dance. I mean, I don't think he ever stops. Anyway, so we are talking, we're talking about so many things, but we're going to start by, I would love for Ralph to kind of tell our listeners what he thinks his career path is, <laughs> what the milestones are maybe in his training at this point in his career. And because we'll talk about so many different styles of dance, I think, in this, and we'll have so many different things to talk about. Ralph, thank you so much for being here first. And would you please take it away in terms of your training? We know a little bit, but please just uh, fill us in a little bit more. Yeah. My name is Ralph Eskimillan. I currently am using he, him pronouns. I'm on unceded Musqueam's Commercial Tooth, grew up in Vancouver, uh, since age five. Dance, I feel like, specifically my career, hmm, <laughs> I, I feel like when I hear that question, it, it makes me think about the different rooms I'm in. Uh, nice. I, I'm learning a lot of the work that I'm interested in, or the work that I do is all about space. It's about building spaces between people, uh, whether that's a studio, whether that's Robson Square, whether that's uh, like a, a beach in the Philippines or something, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the work I'm interested in has become about space building. 
uh, and dance being one of the now many other vehicles for that that creation, uh, that type of creation. Mm. I, I think my career is largely informed by my my need to continue learning, uh, continue exploring, and I guess especially after from a very early age, actually, I guess like th- this 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 want to like understand myself uh, and learn more about who I am, whether that is like from a biological level, an ancestral level, or a regional, national, global level. And, and I think it's, it's that multiplicities of self, which is like, I feel like a tagline I use a lot because I think there is, mm-hmm. there are many versions of me, as I'm sure we'll be talking about today, mm-hmm. that keeps me present. I, I think it, it, it ironically anchors me into myself with the multiplicity So what I love about that is that I feel like there's something about your versatility in dance is also another thing that allows you to be present as a dancer because you have so many things that you can draw on, that you're drawing upon and that you are perhaps kind of influenced by the space in which you're in to access some of those things and you can access so many. So there's something about that kind of being interested in the multiplicity and and versatility that actually also continues to kind of keep you present in your dancing, right? You mm-hmm, can just say, mm-hmm. you can keep surprising yourself and other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Really interesting. Would you say that the this also extends into how you've learned? Like, so you say this, the different rooms that you are in. And I think that's a really nice way of explaining that there is a different atmosphere set up with different styles and because mm-hmm. the way in which you learn those different styles, how how the social, I mean, I'm obsessed with this part, but how the social uh, engagement is in a room with the different styles mm-hmm. is a big part of how that space is created and then how you feel walking into those spaces to feel like you either belong or have to find your mark or have to mark your territory even. Right. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I feel like you've had that from day one and that you have a really lovely um, kind of uh, invitational kind of approach to contemporary because of you coming from street dance and all those different kinds of things. Would you agree or? Yeah. yeah. I I would, I would, I kind of want to go back to what you're just saying about access and, uh, Mm. I feel like access has been a big part of my ability to keep learning and continue learning and growing. And I want to point out like my, my multiplicity is based on a privilege that I've been able to earn. I, w- I say earn because I did not grow up with a lot mm-hmm. of privilege uh, mm-hmm. from a monetary way. I think I've been very privileged in other ways uh, through culture, through my mom, through my, her amazing support. Uh, but mm-hmm. from a monetary value, like it, it, was, a, it was a pretty hard upbringing I wouldn't say harder than anyone else's or, or less hard than someone, but I feel like there was struggle. And I think that that type of struggle allowed me for when, when I did have opportunities that, that felt huge, that felt monumental to really appreciate and, 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 and seek in the, and then continue seeking them. Like after there, there was almost like, I guess this, this, this need to, to continue exploring. Okay, cool. I, I, I performed in this place and then so what's next after that what is the next and i think for some people some folks as well the next is is always there's always a fear to it connected to it but yeah i think there's an invitation yeah. with the next there's an invitation and a, a lot of it too growing up as a single child as well and this is just like therapy stuff but i i, I think 
not and, and also not growing up with family. I, I feel there's a, a big space left in the gap of my body, physically and mentally, where where I had so much uh, open or available storage <laughs> to 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 learn. That's been a way I've been thinking about it. I'm like, oh, like. I, I may have lost in some ways, unfortunately, like a, a connection to family, which I think now as I'm getting older, I'm able to to take more lead on learning more about and, and trying to build those, mend, mend and build those relationships again. But but I think why I haven't been why I haven't stopped myself is because there has been nothing that has stopped me yet to continue on. I I, I feel yeah the, the different rooms I've been in. I think i talk about my first like experience of like really training and dancing like technically and i think i talk about my break dancing training i did with jared kaisen uh who is a teacher at harbor dance center he's uh part of like a very well-known break dancing crew called an hour never crew i remember the, the first day after i took the class my body was just so sore and i just remember that feeling that that change in my body that i i was like oh wow i have an ability to change myself from this physical place. And I think that was so surreal to me because I think prior to that, I was already interested in like uh, art making and crafting and building sculptures. And I, I was very hand handy um, in school. And I think I already had an affinity for art making, but to be able to physicalize it, to feel it internally, to feel it through the body is was just a whole new world for me. And I, I continued to continue wanting to learn more and kind of keep pushing my physical boundaries, not in a way where it's like, I guess, like not unhealthily. Like I feel I was very aware of like my safety and my body and that after a certain point too, I'm like, this is the career I'm going to be in. So I need to start thinking smart, being strategic of how I use my body and, and figuring out and listening in the room ways that people take care of themselves in order to continue working. To add on to that, sorry, I'm going into a tangent, yeah, but yeah. I feel like it's great. I, th- I think the understanding of how a room works is also a tool that is that comes from like an immigrant experience a way of having to fit in or systemically assimilate and so i feel like seeing how my mom grew up like my mom worked and hearing her stories from work when i was younger like some stuff that happened in the in office or or maybe i'm learning maybe i i maybe didn't hear but i felt <laughs> her energy yes. of how she had to maneuver those environments of predominantly like white professionals yeah. uh, like big corporate I, I think I, I was able to understand how to use the room to my advantage and how to position myself in a place where I am necessary and in and in, in the other way around a reminder that you are necessary like you you are needed you are valued mm-hmm. which I think has really helped me carry on I, I think it's interesting because I think in some dance rooms I mean I would say like ballet modern contemporary dance like Eurocentric, Eurocentrically centered art making. I think there is a hierarchical system, and I feel like coming from a street dance background, first really gave me that anchoring of like your individual, that you are mm-hmm. one, you are your own, but you are also complicit in 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 the community. Like there is a reciprocal relationship, that mm-hmm. one 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 teaches the other one. Like there's there's a sharing, and I think because it didn't have as such a finite yeah almost like titles right or like yeah. a division of division of roles or something yeah yeah and also that yeah. didn't i think a lot of people since, since a lot a lot of students even now it, it's not financially driven like people only maybe now now that breakdancing is going into the olympics like there are careers for street dance mm-hmm. and like and a lot of careers i wouldn't say there aren't careers but i think a lot of careers are informed by either battling or teaching in street dance yeah. 
So, right. but the rest of that, a lot of people just are just do it for the cultural context to be to gather to socialize, mm-hmm. to like listen to good music, to to hang out, to like appreciate each other's style. I don't know. There's like there's a lot of ways I feel like that street dance mentality has really carried on to how I work now, and like I think I've been paralleling a lot. That, ex- that that kind of cultural context is similar to like outside other cultural cultures outside of North America, where this idea of gathering, I would say even reminiscent to like indigenous cultures of like how they gather. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is so. absolutely, you know, Vancouver and it's, you know, and it's origins, you know, mm-hmm, of the, mm-hmm. this land, you know, that mm-hmm, we both mm-hmm. are on right now. Yeah. And I feel like the, through this whole thing from when you started talking about your, your beginnings and your discoveries, there's a, there is a real sense of respecting identity, I think, and a, and a real like time to learn about something that you're giving to a room. And I think that can change a space. I think when you come in with the attitude of respecting identity, like everybody's identity and that you are like, you're giving time to learn about something when you're with people, I think Mm -hmm. that can change the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something really interesting there. I think where there is a meeting of minds and I mean, minds that are embodied minds. I mean, like bodies, when I say mm-hmm. minds, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. I know you completely understand, mm-hmm. that is working from that place, right? Working with that and working to care for that. So I will say, I think there is something in, in all of the styles that you do where there, there is that sense of respect of the form that you are doing, which is why you're so good, <laughs> I think, <laughs> regardless of what, what you're up to. But I wonder if we could just I mean, kind of flip around a little bit and and talk about some of the choices you've made and which rooms you've chosen to be in. And partly this is to do with the fact that I know you're, you know, working in flamenco a little bit right now, and maybe, maybe a lot, but you're also, you've also got your contemporary career. You, you have worked with Ballet BC and with Kid Pivot and, and those kinds of Winway and a whole bunch of different dance companies that cross over through the contemporary into other forms that aren't street dance necessarily, and you're seeking out these opportunities. And I feel like that's a continuation. Having said that, I'm also interested in how you feel with your question around hierarchy. When you put yourself in a position of mentee, intern, apprentice, all of these things, that there's a, I think the context you've provided us with a lot of context for, you know, you want to learn, but what's that been like for you? to be there as opposed to being in a group process or something or working, you know, in an ensemble environment, but actually going out for this mentorship thing, this mm-hmm. targeted particular kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. I guess for the first thing, when it comes to the rooms I've chosen or maybe not, maybe just been guided to being in, I didn't know that, dance would be a career I could pursue uh, for financial stability. Like when I was, when I didn't think it was possible. I, I didn't know what the, there was, there's no really, there's not a true map of like a successful dancing career, I think. And mm-hmm. I think there is a, I guess there's a, of course the, there's like maybe two streams I could think of, which is like the ballet stream is like you train when like you're seven or 14 and then, you do conservatory, whatever, and then you book work from that. Or the other one is like going through a university institutional structure. Um, I, I didn't follow those formats, but I, I've yet to still been able to have the opportunity to work in the, mm-hmm. the, the, end, the end goals of one of those 
of those <laughs> training regiments. So yeah. I, I think because, and I think it, it is because of the fluidity of my training and, and, and also akin to like what is and what was wanted from dancers, uh, I would say is now still, is this eagerness that I think uh, that, that made me quite, for lack of a better term, sellable. Um, and I say this with like, with an awareness that like, I know the body is uh, conversation, like right now, dialogues of body and selling oneself. And I, I think I, I've come to terms with that. Like, this is my job that the, the dancing body, like on a stage is, is, is a job. Uh, we have to work. Uh, and we think there is a keen awareness for me that like, we are selling ourselves in a way in order to work. The, the body is being, we're, being, we're paying for bodies to watch and I'm being paid for that work. So it is, there is a reciprocal transactional yeah, transaction. relationship there. Yeah. yeah. That being said, but we could also watch bodies and move outside. Like we can watch in another <laughs> culture's dance dances for everyone. But then mm-hmm. I, I think that's another conversation to have maybe later, but about the lack of dance in the everyday. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, and the need for it to be seen on the stage I mean, North American context is very different, so I think that's another day. But where I'm going with this, I guess, is I feel the rooms that I've been chosen. I, I decided to. St- I decided, and I would say, decided to stay in, and I pursued. Were always in the interest of learning more. It was always an interest of of growing uh, myself. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong in also increasing your potential to be sold <laughs> mm-hmm. yes you know yes. do you know what i mean like your commercial viability yes. right your economic yeah. viability this yeah. is something that you have learned that you can do uh, mm-hmm. and you you've built skills to be able to have many things that you offer to people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. regard but it's not how you train mm-hmm. you know you don't you know no. yeah you're not you're not training for the you're not training for the dollar you know, yeah. you're training no, no, for no. something else and it turns yeah. into, you know, possible. Uh, it's like an enterprise, really. It's like, yeah. you know. Like... And then I guess, I don't know if that answered that question fully, the first one. But the second question about mentorship and leadership, it's so interesting. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I can speak first as wanting to seek mentorship, wanting to seek support. I, yep. I feel that, again, that falls in line with my interest of a continued learning. And I also have a fear, I guess also, of like an imposter syndrome of of knowing everything <laughs> and, and being like i know everything and because i've seen in rooms that i've worked in where that has been at a like it's been the deficit of a project is is, yes. is the director thinking that they know everything so i i think the invitation and the want to have a mentor an outside eye a dramaturge uh in my work uh comes from I guess, a, a, a reminder to myself that I, I still can learn more even within the work and vice versa. The mentors that I get to work with that I've been able, I have the, 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 the luck and the, the fortune to be, to be in my, in spaces with me also learn from me. There's been a really strong reciprocal relationship mm-hmm. that as long as they're supporting me, they're also learning a lot from how I'm working. Mm-hmm. So then you have this conversation of intergenerational uh, like knowledge exchange that I think is so vital and is, is, is how many cultures 
exchange knowledge to each other that absolutely that, you know that that it's that is foreign in some contexts and here in this part of the world is very surreal to me mm-hmm. but i also think that also comes from me being able to relinquish the fact that i don't know and i think maybe that's something that has also been a, a drive in my career is that being okay to be in the unknown and being okay in in not not having all the solutions all the sol- problems solved but asking all the questions and i think instead of asking it into the ether of the, the mm-hmm. your social media of of in the, the whatever whatever verse we're going to be in to be able to speak with it with someone that has a lived experience and i know I, that comes in a, ter- a very weighted term now but that comes from an experience that has been of life i think it is just a very different uh, answer you get, I think. And I think, yeah, it elicits the type of conversation that gets into, like, that gets deeper, mm-hmm. uh, quicker, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like, you're faced with different perspectives immediately, like how we interpret each other's words is already, a, you know, a step towards opening up our, you know, perspective on what the reality is of our situation if you can do that authentically then it's Mm -hmm. wonderful but yeah i know what you mean Mm -hmm. there's a lot of the time when it's when some people can't are not open to another person's perspective Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. whatever reason for whatever Mm -hmm. reason just to Mm -hmm. have a thrown by somebody else's perspective (laughs) which yeah which yeah so i think i think that's beautiful and i think there's something about knowing that you don't know but still trying or still asking questions and still having a goal I think is really important. And I think our goals are, you know, kind of often uh, poo-pooed these days as as something that, you know, is too ambitious in the world and too self-centered. But I think it's really important to, uh, they can change, but I think it's really important that you you are aiming for something because that can help you. It helps you learn. It just helps mm-hmm. you learn. Mm-hmm. And I would say on the other side, as a men- mentor for others. Yeah. I, I'm I'm in a I'm in a place right now where I, I'm being faced with having to mentor people, and I I guess I'm I'm learning hmm, how to balance my want for them and also yes. being able to listen yeah, to what absolutely. is present, and it's absolutely. very interesting. And yeah. I, I think the way I'm approaching my mentorships are about offerings, and I think for a lot of people, it's a lot it's hard to just have offerings instead of the answers. And I think that being said, I think that's how I've been mentored. So I think I'm mentoring the way I've been mentored is that here are offers to how an answer could be found. And it's interesting, I think, the power dynamic of a mentor, because I think depending on the context, some folks just want the answer. (laughs) They don't want to have to work (laughs) through the offering. Yeah. No, exactly. And giving them more choice is sometimes like just devastating for them. But at the same time, it just leads to a it it leads to a different potentially a different set of questions that get them closer to being able mm-hmm. to take it on themselves. And mm-hmm. um, you know, like so I think that's a I think that's interesting. Yeah, that's really good. So let's talk a little bit about how you balance all of the paths because um just to go over a little bit, um I'd like to for me this gets to a little bit of the commercial world as well, but not necessarily financially, but just in terms of the fact that you do the Van Vogue Jam, you have your own house, I believe, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Then you're also a model and you're also, so all of those commercial things and anything that you think fits in under the commercial category in your life, please share with us now. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I, I would say so. On the commercial end, I've been a union member of the UBCP and ACTRA union, I believe, since like 2017 or 18, I think. So it's oh, almost coming to about five years of being a union member. And I think that came out of just, I'm like, I have enough credits and I guess I should just do it. And there was a great deal at the time to be a union member. And I'm like, I don't work a lot anyways in film. And when I do, they're usually union jobs. So I might as well just unionize. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until more recently where I was able to actually reap the benefits of a union because with union, you also get health insurance. There's like health insurance packages based on how much money you make on a job throughout the season or whatever. So it was amazing recently to have like dental, like almost like a lot of it covered and like, whoa, or like things like that. So it was kind of surreal because in, in, in like in like in concert dance performance and theater dance world, that is, that's very seldom the case. Like you have an opportunity to have a health insurance. <laughs> so yeah. that was a positive for sure. But I think being in the film and TV industry, uh, I mean, that was a really, uh, that was a goal for me when I was younger. Is like, I want to do film and TV. Like that's something I'm interested in exploring. I grew up with my mom, like watching like tour, live tours on TV and watching people on like shows, like dance and stuff. And I think that was always like a dream I've had. I continue to have that dream still. So I thought it was like, the, just the right progression but I, I think I didn't get my success in it until I think a few years after like after I was training and I think what, what was interesting was when I was auditioning before uh, I started getting actual work I, I was really I was trying to be something they wanted and they meaning like proverbial like industry Hollywood, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, exactly. TV, yeah. Hollywood, media world. Cumulative, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting is like, I feel like once I started actually tapping into myself, I started getting more work, which mm-hmm. is so surreal. And I think it also comes from this like, awareness of like what you're selling, who you are, your mm-hmm. quote unquote package. Mm-hmm. And my package came through just me genuinely being interested about being genuinely interested in myself and like wanting to learn more about what I did. So this is also a time of later on, like wanting queer artists, like artists of color, like dancers of color, like all this stuff. So it kind of came in a good time. And I think financially was, those were one of the reasons why I stayed in film and TV and maybe only one or two of the jobs I've ever done. I've ever felt like the most gratified um, by the room, by how the, the relationship with the choreographer and director was. And it's very rare. So a lot of it, it is it is a great way of financially supporting yourself. But I think there's also, because jobs are so scarce, it, it creates a type of person that I'm not really excited about being in my life. Like, I, I don't think I want to feel like the necessity or that I, I'm waiting for the next job. And yeah, I wanted more control uh, over my career and my life. And I feel like, Ironically, I don't think the funding body is any better, but I think there there are ways to feel a sense of more uh, of more agency in that world. Because I would say both worlds still require money in order to to create and make things happen. When money is involved, regardless if it's funded by the government or funded by a Hollywood director, it's still money. So. I feel though with the funding system that there, it feels like there are ways of accommodating people's lives and care that I think can't happen in the same way in the film world where it's like so fast paced. I do love both rooms and I love, I feel like 
now jetting into a world now where I'm getting into choreographing musicals and uh, in the choreography world now, I wonder if there's going to be this transition back into film with that. But I also, I don't like, I like, I'm patient, but there's a huge line for a successful commercial career. And I just rather focus my energy on things that are happening and that are present, that are, that are feeding me as well. So Sorry, that was a tangent of stuff. But... No, 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 it's great. So let's <laughs> let's go with the tangent for a second. Yeah, go. Choreograph- choreographing a musical. Can you talk a little bit about the musical that you are currently choreographing? And yeah. if, if we can see it, when we can see it. Well, um, because we'll get to all of your contemporary stuff in a minute. So we're, yeah, we're yeah, going to get yeah, there. Yeah. But let's let's do this now. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I just I just worked on my first uh, Equity musical with Corey Payette, uh, who is a Two Spirit Indigenous uh, director. Uh, songwriter everything he kind of does everything he's 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 pretty wild but we premiered uh, a show a new show called star walker uh, at the york theater and commercial drive not not new york i want to preface <laughs> y-o-r-k because people are like new york i'm like no i did that not yet yeah i've done, yeah. I've done and new might, york before, and you'll do it again and you'll do it, it again yeah hopefully we'll do it again we'll see new york's not new york. going anywhere yeah. no yeah i mean it is an island of trash but uh yeah <laughs> So I did. We did. We premiered the musical uh, in February of 2023 of this year, and we are now in a phase of filming a film version, an indie film version of it. So great. That process has been really interesting because I was a choreographer first, but and then I was also I ended up being hired as an ensemble performer. So I was I was singing for the first time on stage, which I haven't done in so long. I have a history of singing when I was like a kid. Of course, mm-hmm. being Filipino, we we sing mm-hmm. we do everything, <laughs> and then. Yeah, then also I was understudy. So I was playing three roles within that that production, which is a lot to carry. And luckily I had some support with my assistant, Ross Vertinen. But this film version has been interesting, like, because that's a world that I'm more aware of. I'm, I understand how, how your call sheet works and I understand, like, the rules and stuff. So it was it was cool to like, come from the theater, the musical yeah. theater, and then going into the, the camera. And um, I, I feel like, I'm so happy. I, I feel comfortable. I, I'm able to transition so fluidly because I, I know for a lot of people, like it is a different medium. But I think for me, all, all the rooms feel like there's there's like there's different things you have to like put up in the walls and the rooms that you're in. But <laughs> the room is a room like the room is a room is a room, you know, and yeah. being able to understand how my body, how I fit in the room has been a really interesting journey. And I think uh, I'm able to carry the same tools and just shift how I use the tool in, in a new way, which which makes it feel like I'm not having to take out a whole new toolbox. Yeah, that the, the tool is a modular tool. That's been really exciting. Yeah, that's wonderful. So when you say you're you're comfortable, are you comfortable behind the camera? Like, are you comfortable with shooting and knowing how to frame? And like and what to frame a do you storyboard yeah actually it's it's quite interesting i feel because of the different ways of working i've, I've experienced i i carry on some of the storyboarding in yeah. like my theater in my fake not pieces so yeah. I, I, I use it i love excel which i don't know how that happened i want to say that came from my mom and <laughs> her brain but i love well organizing. and just in detail and detail in detail right? yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and also i think it comes from also understanding how working especially these bigger projects I feel like I work with a lot of people in my work. So having like mm. a document or a, a something that can everyone can anchor to, to like have, if they have like, oh, what's happening in this work, I think has been really 
helpful for the processes that I'm that I'm interested in in having. And I mean, working and seeing how Crystal works, we yeah. could pivot. I'll seeing how like when we works, but also then seeing how a big Hollywood director works, and then how I was listening to someone in like the Philippines work. Like these different ways of working has really helped support and find. Not that I have like a formula of making my work at all by any means, but I think it just gives me ways of approaching how to, how to create based on what is needed at the moment. Yeah, and I feel like it's another way of archiving a project, right? Because as you mm-hmm. as all of the ways in which you are organizing and coordinating the project as you go is also a form of archive of that process. And, you know, the different people that you work with need access to different codes and different, you know, ways of, to understand their role in the work going forward or, and to even understand the work in the way that they need to, to be able to collaborate with you. So, you know, we don't all need to have the same information, I think, in order to, yeah, I think that's great. So I'd love to just flip to the art making side. And, and there's so many other things we could talk about, as you've already mentioned. And I think a conversation around art making versus community or social gathering dancing and everyday dancing and all of those things is a whole other thing because I think that I think sometimes the split is also unfortunate like the you know kind of needing to over define one versus the other is a little bit of an unfortunate thing we have in our society but however fake not is your contemporary creation interdisciplinary company. And as you've alluded to already, you you work with a lot of people and you don't just mean you work with a hundred dancers, but um, it's not just that. It And it's not just working with models to stage a show. It's literally you're talking about sound, m- mixed media artists, like the costume people, the, all of the, and your movement collaborators. There are so many things. And that seems to be what, fake not is about you've built it for that reason so I'm just going to mention a little bit that you just had you've had two I think two big pieces with fake not you've had whip and and now you have Pina but yeah would you like to talk a little bit about fake not in general mm-hmm. and then maybe we'll move a little bit to you can talk about whip if you like but move a little bit to Pina because I think that brings us all the way back around to the things you talked about with your identity and ancestry and all of those wonderful things in the meantime, the one other thing that we won't get the time to talk about today, but will come up in this fake knot thing, and we'll save it for another time, is your interest in other things like fashion and photography and all of those things. So please feel free to kind of segue tangent off into that world as well and come back mm-hmm. if that if you so um, desire. Mm-hmm. But it's really just to yeah tell us about fake knot and your in your way mm-hmm. present mm-hmm. today. Tell us your fake knot story. <laughs> yeah. I feel fake not is kind of an umbrella and an alias for all my interest in one really this interest of fashion, clothing, textile, and the body, and I think maybe it it will become a, be a precursor to a, a, a fashion life in another time. But I think right yeah, now I can see that yeah yeah because my because yeah. my because my tools and my learning has come about. It has come from understanding the moving body. I think garments and clothing inherently become part of that 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 moving. I feel that the, when I'm when I'm thinking of making and creating, the the first things I think about is like what it, what it looks like, the visual. So I think in one way, I become I, be, I become a visual artist in that point. And then mm-hmm. after, I think about the sound. What's the sound? So I'm thinking about wanting to work and who am I collaborating with because 
I think historically too, working with other artists when you're using copywritten music, it's actually a functional reason of having your own scores so that you don't have to worry about copywriting. Absolutely, it's true. And, and then it also offers an opportunity for another way of, of collaborating, which I think is really exciting. And I think it also allows me to carve the space for the audience even more. So the choreography is through the music as well. And then, then we get into the lighting world. And then lighting is just another type of architecture in this space. And and new media would also involve those two kind of mediums. And so I feel like, and I've said this in many an interview that like my work I'm interested in making is about building an architecture. It's building scaffolding or building an environment for then the dance to be able to be built off of. So mm-hmm. I guess it's in a way, it, it's, it's a way of me maybe showing how the systems that we live in inform our bodies in a way, I think. And each piece is a different environment, is a different system, is a different society, maybe. Room. Yeah, a different room, a different room, exactly. I would say Hinky Punk was one of my first bigger pieces that I did. Sorry, I forgot to mention that one. It's okay, okay. It's okay. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's got yeah. your stamp absolutely all yeah. over it. Exactly yeah. what you've just said. That is the that's the market. That's, that's the yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the um, the birth of fake art, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like for me, that work was was really anchored in iconography. I was really interested in exploring my relationship to ballroom culture, uh, to voguing, and it kind of spiraled from there and we what i what i use in order to inform me spatially is a four by four cube and there was no way of changing that so i i kept the four by four cube from the conception of the work at the art gallery and fuse in like 2017 maybe and then until mm-hmm. the, the premiere and then until the tour so i i kind of <laughs> it was it was quite a challenge to continue touring a work by four by four cube but it was interesting because it really forced me to through constraints challenge how I can create a work and, in, and entice an audience for an hour. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a projection, of course, with shimeric uh, panels that would come up and down. So I was already experimenting with design. How do we incorporate a projection space that isn't in proscenium, you know, and, mm-hmm. and having it freeform? And this idea of also touring without the need for a huge rig or a big stage and excessive and finding new ways to present the work in other spaces that aren't a theater and that was yeah. felt really radical. And I think it still feels radical. And I remember a lot of presenters didn't like it because they couldn't get out of the mindset of their theaters not being full or filled in a way that they're accustomed to. Yeah. So it was antagonizing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then. But it's a, bring, it's a bringing together of two worlds, though, in my mind. Yeah. As well. Uh, and, and more than two worlds. But it brings that. It brings. Yeah. 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 It's exciting now. If you were to do that again, you probably are not interested in doing it now, but I wonder if more presenters would be on board. Anyway, let's move yeah. on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. then, then the second work, my most recent work I premiered in 2021 at the, at the May uh, was Whip. So that was a show where, again, my constraints became about not seeing. So we created, uh, I helped design this like leather hood piece with Lincoln Heller, a five of leather, where these like long bison tubes. He just had leather and we wanted to do a fashion show project and it didn't end up panning out, but we designed this costume ready. So I'm like, let's make a piece out of it. And it was really cool. And I like this idea of not being able to see. Like, So if I can't see, then how do I move in space? And I'm like, well, sound. Because that's how you can move in space. Like that's, And I've seen, I was inspired by another show that I watched in Australia. I forgot the artist, but it was I was there for Sydney Fest. And the way they use sound was so exciting. And I'm like, it'd be so cool if we had that technology, but in the show. So 
But again, with that one, instead of on a four by four cube, I expanded to a 20 by 20 square foot square. So these mm-hmm. choices that I'm making for measuring and like deciding creative, like cho- design choices really early on has also come from like a need for like tech writers to come in like two years before the show is even premiered from like to the presenter. You know, it's like, it's like, do you know like how much, like, I don't know, but if I guess if I make this space of a 20 by 20 cube, I know this is going to fit in the theater and it might fit in any other theater, like, you know, but if I create these land, like landmarks, literal landmarks in the space, then I know what I'm working with instead of having to like shift in different theaters all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's a function for it. Like these are all functional and necessary and also inform the work inherently through that. Yeah, and a sell a sellable function, or at least sellable. part of that same idea. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and with that too, I couldn't see. So then, since I couldn't see, <laughs> how are you going to know where lights are? Where where our spot? Where we have to stand in lighting? Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, well, I know because of my my wanting to keep learning, I <laughs> knew that there was technology that could see bodies through either infrared or through like mm-hmm. uh, like depth, depth. Yeah. So. We worked with Shamirak again to create like a program that would actually follow the bodies in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't, it wasn't always successful. But I think the few times that we're there, it was exciting that it was there. And then we did set moments of light, of course. Yeah. And then this new work is all solely on Pina, which is the name, mm-hmm. the namesake of the work. And similar to the past works with Hanky Punk and Whip, Pina. Like I just keep, I literally keep pulling that thread of what it was and why I like it, why I'm interested in it. And a lot of it came from the images of Philippine people that I would see in like the textbooks and they would wear barongs, which or terno sleeves, which are like Spanish Philippine, like traditional garments. The Philippines is, is a, a place of many different cultures. So there's not just one dress, but this is the dress that was put out in, out, out in the world. Outside of the Philippines. Yeah, to so, identify the Philippines, I suppose. Yeah, 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 Filipino, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And those dresses, those shirts uh, were made, were usually made out of out of, of piña, so the, the pineapple fiber. And I was yeah. like, why pineapple fiber? And then, so I just kept asking the questions, and then I was try- kept looking for the answers, and the answers kept revealing more questions. So mm-hmm. pineapples weren't native to the Philippines. They came from the Spanish galleon trade, so inherently has a Spanish, as a Spanish colonial history through its mm-hmm. transportation of the, fi- of the of the actual plant. So mm-hmm. it inherently, at least for me, connects to my cultural historical background because my family comes from a, predominantly from the, the part of the Philippines that has like the most like, concentration of Spanish people. So I'm like, okay, this pineapple is me. I'm the pineapple. Pineapple is me. The piña is me. <laughs> <laughs> the piña is you. The piña is me. Yeah. yeah, you're pulling the thread of the piña, of the, yes, of yeah. the pineapple. Uh, yeah, I love that you said pulling the thread because yeah. of the fibrous element of it. But then also you pineapple as object from mm-hmm. an, in, with Spanish, you know, colonial history, now mm-hmm. doing flamenco, all yeah. like, is yeah. all like, it's so kind of beautifully literal. Yeah, it's <laughs> and so also, literal. And, yeah, and, and wonder, and then just like so expansive, so opening, yeah. you know, yeah. just like, yeah. So I mean, I, think it's, I mean, it's interesting. I've, I've been talking to my friends about the literal, getting, being literal. And I think the function of literalness is also, has, has been kind of hidden from, I would say from like the art that I grew up in learning. I think there was always this need of having to abstract art, abstract what we do. And abstraction was like the value, was like, like, was like the way of, was the sellability. It was like, made it cool. And I feel like 
for me, I'm learning, at least for me, I think being on the nose, being literal is really cool in a way of that. It can, I can get my mom in the audience because of it. Now I can get my aunt, I can get some random person on the street that doesn't know anything to be able, because they can access it because I can play, I'm, play, I'm playing a police song in whip. They already can instinctually have a connection to the work, which I think if we're, we're having a conversation about not having enough audiences in the room anymore, in the theaters anymore, how do we get new audiences? I don't think we're having, we don't have to build new audiences. We also have to just understand that, like who, who the audiences are and what, what the audiences want. And not necessarily of like having to pander to them. Cause I think there's an issue. There's like a thing of like, Oh, like, well, they have to just understand, like they have to learn how to watch our shows. It's like, but no, but we haven't given them access to. So how do you yeah. give them access to understanding the work? If, if your work is made in a silo, well, and also, I think if you're if they don't feel invited, exactly, if there isn't something they feel invited to engage with in some ways, they don't feel like it matters whether or not they come. Yeah. So I think I think with Pina, what I'm taking with that sentiment is like, how do I give access to my work to this new work? Also, a fiber within even the Philippine, like within Philippine people, don't know where it's from. Like people don't even know pineapples were or came from the Spanish. They don't know even know where pineapples like or like made like i don't know it's like there's a whole like like a a block <laughs> of information or knowledge that has not been transferred so yeah. I, and the way i've been finding way to like support this like sharing of the knowledge is like we had a we i built a fake not learning series which became a series where for pina specifically but i think it'll be something we'll be carrying on in the company as a way of having an, like a, these vimeo meeting style like casual conversations that would be paralleling the, the work that Fake Not is creating so that yeah. people have access to the knowledge that I applied for grants to learn about as well to, to for the public. So working with textile conservationists, the Philippine Textile Union, uh, weavers, like uh, all these things, and even Philippine folk dance and how it relates to the barangs or like the Cherno sleeve dress and how it shifted in the different time periods. Like, so we have a whole Vimeo that we've built like of like playlist for just for Pina alone for people to have information. If they, if again, this idea of offering, if yeah. they want to know more before they go into the theater or after, mm -hmm. if they're more curious. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing about that too, is then because I'm interested of also like, because of the work that I'm making is so tangible. It's, it's objects. Is there a way we can showcase the fiber in a public setting. So working with the dance center, uh, we'll be able to also have a small exhibit of Pina in the lobby later leading up to the premiere of the show, which is very exciting. So people have the ability to actually see the fiber outside of the stage as well. So yeah, it's another, way, another access point, another access point. Yeah, that's great. Cause that, that'll be two different locations though, won't it? Then in that case, so yeah. the, ins the installation thing will be at the dance center, but the show will be at the SFU mm -hmm. gold car. Yeah, and I think and I think that really also I think that also really shows that collaboration part to me is that yes, SFU has like the premiere of the show, but but we also have the exhibit, which is also an, another adjacent part of the work as well. And again, mm -hmm. this idea that that the projects and the pieces I'm making with Fake Not, uh, I think the performance is just a vehicle for these access or these ways of allowing others to have knowledge shared to them i think yeah which i think is really exciting because it, it, it's kind of inspired me again because of like wanting to make work because i think it's it's hard because i would say for me and not to go into this having to go into conversation but i feel like 
and I also know historically that artists of color come in and out of trend in North America. And this is the truth. And this is, uh, this is how I feel is the, and like, I think things are changing for sure. But mm -hmm. do I feel they've regressed back since things of the pandemic have been like slowly slowing? Yes, but I feel like I came in a really opportune time, I think, to take advantage of the opportunities that a lot of artists of color were being offered. I, I think with the opportunity that I have now and with this little door I'm able to have open is like, how do we continue that dialogue of keeping this door open? You know, and I think part of it comes from education and that's why I'm, I'm so... I think it's so vital to continue offering knowledge uh, as, as free as possible because I've definitely understood the privilege I've had in, or, in accessing knowledge that maybe wasn't meant for me, that wasn't, wasn't catered or ever was ever meant to even see my, like, see my eyes. So, and how that's changed my world and also has changed how I, how I can shift the world I'm around as well. Yeah, thank you. I feel like that's a real kind of legacy it's kind of the start of a legacy. And also it just, I, I, we won't talk about this much and we'll bring this to a close very soon. And thank you so much for your time and all of the things you've shared. Um, and there's so much more we could talk about, of course. But I just want to talk about the casting because you have an entire Filipino cast, yet it's in Vancouver. And I, is everybody based in Vancouver and Filipino? Or are you bringing people? And then also from what you've already described, it seems like, even within that, you would have different understandings of your own culture and you would have different relationships to your own culture, of course. That makes so much sense. But then I think just from what you just said about having information that was not necessarily for your eyes, but you were given or spoon-fed or forced, it was imposed upon you in some way, perhaps. And, um, you know, I feel like there's a, there's a really interesting space now where if you're open to it, you can learn so much about other cultures and really get information that's so well researched and is actually multifaceted because people understand it differently from those cultures and I think that's a really healthy space to be I think it's a very positive way um, of starting a legacy right because mm -hmm. you are keeping it open it's not mm -hmm. it's not tokenist in that way mm -hmm. and you're making sure it isn't mm -hmm. so yeah I, I think with the casting of the work it, it was important for me because I'm working with something that is so Filipino like Pina and I have yet to create a work that is I think maybe I, I skirted away from it out of like fear of like what it could off what it would reveal is like learning about my, my ancestry I've learned a lot about pineapples and a lot about its history and there's a lot of crazy stuff but with that I'm also like this conversation of culture of diasporic uh, experiences it's not monolithic my, my no. Philippine Canadian experience is not going to be the same as someone else's. Mm -hmm. So I think it was important, or even a person from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So it was important for me to have a room that reflected a diversity of those experiences. So mm -hmm. I, it needed, there was no way that I could not have an all Philippine cast lighting, sound, costume, all my mentors, all the drum, dramaturgy. There, there, was, there was no not having that. It didn't make no. sense that the work couldn't be the work if that was not the reality of the of the room. And I think it's been really exciting. Like two of the, so I'm performing in the work as a choreographer and dancer, and Tingambo is also the other dancer from Vancouver. Uh, Kim Mortal is uh, composing, this is one of maybe the first actual dance performances they've ever composed music for, a long yeah. duration, six minute piece. But with them not, not having experience in the granting process, I incorporated mentorship 
to help support them. So, and some of the music stylings were are playing with Kundiman, which is like love music. So they had a Kundiman consultant helping support them. Yeah. And then Gabe Raminos is his first big, bigger lighting project. So he's working with Jonathan Kim as mentorship. So I knew there there aren't lighting designers who are from the Fili- who are Filipino that live in Vancouver mm-hmm. that have experience. So right. and same same as composers that live in the city. So I had to integrate that into the, the research process and mm-hmm. as a vital, like as yeah. a necessity for the project. Yeah. And again, then we're building, now we have a new lighting designer in the city, hopefully. Now we have a new composer that could maybe make music for other people. So it creates a new career path for them in, if they want it. Yeah, absolutely. And then dancer from Toronto, Dana, uh, Dana Rosales, who's also part of the ballroom community in Toronto and in Canada, really close friend of mine. Third dancer, fourth dancer is Boo Boy. Uh, he he's he's a dancer in the Philippines. Uh, he's danced for a lot of contemporary companies there, and I met him through passing years ago. And then my costumer Jill Robin Laksamana, my dramaturgist is Den- Denise Reyes, who is an ex ballet Philippines director, and also responsible for a lot of the catalyst for new emerging artists in the Philippines with Choreo Lab and Neo Filipino, which is she's recently left. She's my dramaturgist. So she, there's all these intergenerational, international inter-genre, interdisciplinary uh, experiences that are all in the work. And I think it, it's, a, again, it, it's, it's just another way of like externalizing the experiences I'm, I'm interested in, in learning more about yeah. and having those conversations happen. And also, I think the one big thing is like, if we all come from the same, more or less cultural history, there are things that don't have to be said in the room. Not that we don't have to say it, but that that like little jokes, little... <laughs> things you bring we eat for lunch i think that creates a different environment in the room that that is uh especially if the, the work is about the philippine like the spark experience i think it, it's necessary and that's so that is also then the, the, a really cool part of the process as well oh that's wonderful that's mm. so wonderful i think there's there's so much in that in the process of like it's, it, you've just brought it right back to the body as well, right? And to the and to the necessary body, you know, to eating, <laughs> you know, to to what you eat, to like those kinds of things, to like breathing together, to sitting mm-hmm. together in a room, and how far away you are from each other when you choose to sit together. Those kinds of things, I think, are, you know, and and of course, there's also the individual inside all of that, and and in that, you know bringing it back to identity, we have to remember that we're all individuals in this, mm-hmm. you know, with our own stories, our own like experiences, wherever we're from. And so mm-hmm. there's a really healthy way of kind of just allowing that to be. Yeah, there's, I mean, there are so many other things, um, but we're not going to do it. We're not going to even open that window. <laughs> we just have to talk again, Ralph. That's yeah, all. another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, another day with Ralph. <laughs> there we go. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time. We really look forward to seeing the show in May. We'll have more information on it, and I'm sure you will be talking about this with other people in the meantime. But um, again, thanks so much, Ralph. Thank you so much, Claire. Okay, see ya. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, as this will help other listeners find us and help us to grow our dance audience. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at The Dance Center, Twitter at Dance Center, and Instagram at The Dance Center BC. 
And if you'd like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Just go to our website at thedancecenter.ca where you'll find extensive information about our upcoming programs and events. The music for the Dance Centre podcast was composed by James B. Maxwell. Always a pleasure to connect with you through dance. Until next time. Thank you.